Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoy today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. Okay, so let's talk about love and marriage part two. As you can see, Amy's not here with me, which is kind of about right. So unfortunately, Amy and I got in a, we got in a really bad fight last night. And I said, I don't want to preach with you tomorrow. So I, I, I left her at home this morning so that I would do this on my own. Just kidding. Some of you are getting worried. Like, no. <laughs> yes, we do fight, but it wasn't last night. She's actually up with the, the teenagers. They had winter camp this weekend. And so they're coming back on the road right now, probably slowly through the snow from Flagstaff. And they're, they're planning on being here for second service. So that's where she's at. So it's just me today. But I'm excited for this message here in part two of love and in marriage. It's going to be challenging. Is that okay if I, if I bring a challenging word? Is that okay? This is, this is going to be very challenging for some of you especially. So if that's okay, just say bring it on. Okay, so just remember, you asked for it. Now how many of you plan on getting married someday, and if you are married, you plan on being married for the rest of your life? That's, like, that's the plan. I'm going to be married for the rest of my life. Come on, just raise your hand. That's going to be being married for the rest of my life. That's the plan. Okay, so how many of you you plan on getting married and being unfaithful to your spouse. That's your plan. I'm going to be unfaithful to my spouse. How many of you, you plan on getting married and you plan on your spouse being unfaithful to you? Anyone plan, raise your hand if you plan on that taking place. The truth is we don't plan on it, do we? Yet, unfortunately, one in two divorce, uh, marriages end up in divorce. And that statistic has always wrecked me. It just really bothers my heart. It hurts my heart. One in two marriages, they say, will end up in divorce. Now, no one stands at the altar and says, till divorce do us part. We say, till death do we part, right? Yet so often, divorce happens way before death, and it's an unfortunate, unfortunate thing. Now, here's the good news in, in that statistic. Studies have proven this, that if if you and your spouse are really putting God at the center of your relationship, you're, you're involved in church, you're growing in your relationship with God, and you're serving, and you're serving people, that statistic goes way down, just so you know. Because maybe you've been told it's one and two in the church as well, but if people are really active in their faith, that stat actually goes way down, which I say, thank you, Lord, okay, because that does make a difference. But nonetheless, too much divorce happens today, right? I think that it happens because we pretty much date to prepare ourselves for the relationship to end, if you think about it. We date, and then when it doesn't feel right, or they upset me, or I'm out of love, I just, uh, there's somebody better, we just kind of end the relationship and move on, and that's kind of how we date for the most part, most people, and it really prepares us to just not have a lasting relationship, and then you got all these divorces that are happening, so a lot of people today are like, why should I get married? Like, I'm just going to, let's just move in together. Let's live together. And then we don't have to worry about all the legal stuff of this. Like, it's so much easier. Like, if this doesn't work out, it's just easier to, to, to separate. And so a lot, and it's kind of a reaction to the overwhelming amount of divorce. And you kind of get that. But then people that do that are missing out on this 
incredible benefit of commitment. There's a huge benefit of being committed and living in uh, a marriage where you can truly experience unfailing love. And today we're gonna talk about God's unfailing love. And I pray that your marriage experiences unfailing love, and I pray that your life experiences the unfailing love of God. We're gonna look at the marriage of two people called Hosea and Gomer. So we're going to the book of Hosea. If you wanna go to Hosea right now, it's gonna be great. But Hosea and Gomer. What a great name too, by the way, right? Gomer. I just love that. If you're still trying to decide what are we gonna name our next child, consider Gomer. It's a very gender neutral name, by the way. You could have a boy or a girl, name him or her Gomer. It works either way. So there you go, just, just, just pray about that. Consider that, okay? So we're gonna talk about it. And as we talk about this marriage story, uh, I just want to say this from the, from the beginning. Uh, please hear my heart on this. I, I do not want to come across as judging. Um, I, I pray that you hear and sense the grace and the love of God in this. But we're going to hear and learn some tough things, but also some very, very cool things as we look at the unfailing love of God. Now, the truth is, all of us, every single one of us, those joining us online, all of us, we have failed in our love towards other people and towards God. We've been unfaithful. And we have given really unfaithful love, even unfaithful lust, like we're gonna talk about. But again, I pray that you and I would experience and walk in unfailing love. So Hosea and Gomer, this story takes place about 760 years before Jesus walked on the earth. And Hosea was a prophet in the northern kingdom. God's people had kind of split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom was where Hosea lived. And this was a time of great prosperity and wealth for the northern kingdom. And every time that happened for God's people, they turned their back on God because they're like, hey, we're fine, we're comfortable, we don't need God. And they rebelled against God and they didn't follow him or his ways. And they turned away even from his love. And what's interesting is that is exactly what the human heart will do if we're not careful. Because we live in a culture right now that is very wealthy, very comfortable, and therefore we have this posture just like the people of God in the Old Testament, right? Like, we don't need God, I'm good, I'm fine. And if I do need you, God, I'll let you know. And usually we call on him when all of a sudden things are down and out, we're struggling, but when life is good and easy and I'm comfortable, I tend to not turn to God and put my trust in him. That's what's going on in the northern kingdom as God raises up this prophet Hosea to speak some very important, truthful words that, and, and the prophets always spoke words from God that the people didn't always want to hear. They're like, we don't like what you're saying. We don't really like you. The prophets didn't get invited to very many birthday parties back in the day. They weren't like people's buddies and best friends, but they were the mouthpiece of God telling God's people, this is what you need to hear. And so this is who Hosea is, and God's raising him up to bring his message to his people. So let's look at how the marriage starts here. Hosea chapter 1, and we're going to go to verse 2. Let's read verses 2 and 3. It says, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Deblame, and she conceived and bore him a son. 
So this is an interesting way for Hosea's prophetic ministry to start, wouldn't you say? God comes to him and says, I'm calling you to go marry an adulterous wife. That word could literally be translated prostitute. Okay, mighty man of God, here's how I want you to start your ministry career. Go and find a prostitute and marry her. He finds Gomer and he marries Gomer. Which kind of leads you to this question, like, God, what are you thinking? Why would you do this? But as always, God has a plan. And he wants to show God's people, even Hosea himself, and he wants to show you and I today who he is and what he's like. So I'm sure the marriage started off well. It seems to start off pretty well. You know, they probably had a great marriage or, or, or wedding ceremony. I mean, he's a prophet. Probably had a cool wedding. Went on a great honeymoon. Probably got an Airbnb on the Mediterranean Sea. Had a lot of fun, just relaxing, hanging out. They came home. They settled down. Life's good. Getting into their, Hosea's getting into his career of prophesying God's word. They have a child. Okay, things are going good. Things start off wonderful. And then eventually over time, they kind of start drifting apart. You know how that happens in life, right? We just kind of get busy. They're doing their thing. I'm doing my thing. And it's amazing how this can happen in any marriage today where we can kind of get stuck in just the routine of I'm doing this. And all of a sudden, we can find ourselves in this place where they got their life and I got my life and our, our lives are drifting apart and even our hearts are drifting apart. And so, whatever reason, the, the, the marriage is not as strong, it's not as close as it was, and you can see that Gomer's heart is beginning to shift, like, because she begins to think, I'm just going to go back to my other lovers because I'm kind of missing that life. I'm kind of missing them. Maybe she got a little Facebook request from one of her old lovers, and her mind and her heart started drifting, and she's like, I could go there, I could go there, and here's what can happen. When we find ourselves in that place, it's a pretty dangerous place because this misconception can take place in our hearts. And this is, I would say, perhaps the most common marriage misconception, and the misconception is this, is that what I'm missing is better than what I have. If we're not careful, we can all go there. What I'm missing is better than what I have. So verse five in chapter two, this is what Gomer says. She says, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. She's thinking about this. Uh, these guys are doing, all, they have all this for me. And so Gomer does it. She leaves her husband, Hosea, and she goes and pursues these other men, and she basically goes back into a life of prostitution. So we see something taking place here, unfortunately, and, and it could likely be the cause of what we see even take place today in a lot of marriages, where they get busy, and they're kind of doing their own thing, and they, you know, before they know it, a married couple can have little in common. They're not doing things together. They don't have shared fun things together. They're going different directions, and... All of a sudden, your mind, your heart starts wandering like, oh, this would be better. This could be better, you know? And we have a perception that what I'm missing is better than what I have. It's like that phrase, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. You heard that one before, right? Oh, it looks greener over there. Although, that, I, we, need, we need to put it in Phoenix terms because we got no grass around here in Phoenix, right? Okay, so there's no grass here. There's no fences here. We got walls, which actually I'm thankful for. Walls are better than fences. They're easier to get, take care of. I don't miss fences, right? So the pool is always cleaner on the other side of the wall. We got pools here. 
more pools than grass in Phoenix, okay? So let's, let's use that scenario because maybe we understand that better. The pool's always cleaner, but if you get close to that pool, you realize there's junk in it, they gotta clean it, they gotta put the chemical, they gotta do all the same stuff that you gotta do. It just may look like it, but you gotta get closer. The grass may look greener, but if you get close, there's still poop in that yard from their dog and they got weeds and they gotta take care of it. And if it appears greener on the other side, what do you gotta do? Water your own grass. Okay, so don't get caught up in this whole, like, what I'm missing is better than what I have. Invest in what you have. God has given you, God has blessed you with an amazing marriage or relationship. Invest in that. I promise you, the more you invest in that, the more it's going to flourish and it's going to grow. Okay, so this is a tough misconception that people can fall prey to. And unfortunately, a lot of people believe it and they leave. They go. They go on to the next person. So... Gomer actually has two other kids, and scholars think that those are likely from two other men. They actually aren't Hosea's, especially when you look at the names and the meaning of those. But we do know this. Eventually, Hosea, or Gomer is just completely gone. She leaves him, and it's over. You kind of wonder again, why would she do that? You know, probably she started thinking, this is going to be better than what I have. But let's also be real. The enemy, the devil... There's the same thing today that he even did ages ago. Nothing's changed. His tactics are the same. He wants to implant lies in you and I and get us to believe things that aren't true to cause us to make decisions that are horrible for us. He wants to take us out. He wants to destroy marriages. He wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy our relationship with God, ultimately. He hates the fact that God loves you, and he wants to destroy that love relationship. And so, man, I can totally imagine Satan just planting things into Gomer like you're not good enough for him like he's a prophet who do you think you are like look at your past look at all that you've done some of the things we've heard him speak to us maybe we've thought he doesn't even love you like what you know why he chose you right he would have never picked you but God made him he would have never chosen you he doesn't even really love you what are you doing you should probably just should probably just leave it's the mind games that the enemy wants to put into us to cause us to make horrible decisions. And so she leaves. Where does she go? She goes back to her past. She goes back into prostitution, just giving her body away to, to, to whoever, and she is missing out on all that God has for her, this blessing, this God-ordained marriage. She is missing out on this. This is what God had for her. We could say this was her destiny, but she is stuck living in her history and can't live in her destiny. And so you got to not allow the enemy to speak to you, to lie to you, and pull you back into your past. Don't live in your history Live in the destiny that God has for you. He's got way better things for you in the future. His destiny is way better than your history. Even if your history was good, keep looking to the future. God has great things for you. So let's think about Gomer here, or, or Hosea here. How do you think Hosea feels in all this? You can imagine he's hurt, right? Hurt, um, betrayed. His wife is gone and just totally gone. Probably feels angry, wouldn't you imagine? He's probably questioning God, God, why? Like, God, you told me to marry her. You set this thing, God, this is your fault. I mean, he could have had all these things wrestling, like, why am I going through this? Which is just a picture for you and I of like, we can do what God wants us to do and really be in the center of God's will, but still experience pain and heartache in life. God's will does not promise you from never experiencing pain. It's still the right place where you got to trust him, but there's still going to be pain. And the people that 
make it through life are the ones that trust God even in those seasons. The marriages that make it through life are the ones that can work through things, that can hold hands together, that can walk through this thing together. They're gonna make it on the other side. So more about that in a few moments, but I wanna talk about the two responses that God has to adultery in this passage because we're learning about who God is in this story. What's fascinating about this story is it's not just about a married couple. This story is actually also deeper than that. It's about God's love for his bride, the Israelites. Oh, and it goes even deeper than that. This actually is a picture of his love for you and me. There's lots of layers in this story as we really unpack what's what's going on underneath here. So let's look at this. God's response to spiritual adultery. That's really what this is. You got to understand, God's view of you and I is we are in a covenant relationship. Like your relationship with me is like, it matters. This is a big deal. He had a covenant relationship with the Israelites and it's the same thing with us. And so when we, when we peace out on God, we turn our back on him, when we're unfaithful to him and we commit spiritual adultery, there's two things that will take place, two responses from God. And the first one is there's going to be righteous anger. Righteous anger. So let's look at this here in chapter two. Verses 8, 9, and 10. That's what God says. It says, she has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine, and the oil, who lavished on her the silver and the gold, which they used for Baal, who was a false god. So God is saying right here, it's like, she doesn't even realize I'm the one that's taking care of her. I'm the faithful one in her life. She's forgotten that. And you can, as you read through these, these words, you can sense the pain and the emotion from God and, and, and the anger, too. Therefore, he goes on to say, I will take away my grain when it ripens and my new wine when it is ready. I will take back my wool and my linen intended to cover her nakedness. So now I will expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers and no one will take her out of my hands. You see, God responding here in righteous anger. And here's why God would get angry. Because his relationship and that covenant he has with his people is a big deal. You see, we get being angry when a spouse commits adultery, don't we? Sometimes we struggle with, why would God be angry at me? Angry at me? Okay. Because you gotta understand how God views our relationship. But when any, it doesn't matter what religion, what belief, what worldview you have. When a spouse commits adultery on another spouse, everyone's like, yeah, you should be angry. We get that. We all agree with that. Anger is justified when adultery has taken place. And when we commit spiritual adultery, God gets angry as well. Not because he's just looking for a reason to get angry, but because he so loves you and wants to be close to you that it just causes this anger. When you look at it that way, it makes sense. In fact, James, who was the brother of Jesus, grew up with Jesus, he spoke about this. He said this in James 4. He says, you have become spiritual adulterers who are having an affair. An unholy relationship with the world. Don't you know that flirting with the world's values places you at odds with God? Whoever chooses to be the world's friend makes himself God's enemy. So James is showing us really clearly here again in New Testament that you and I can commit spiritual adultery as well. We put ourselves at odds with God, even becoming his enemy. And so James is interesting. Like you read through James, like James pulls no punches like it is. He's very black and white. And he's like, a spade's a spade. You are spiritual adulterers. Can you say a little nicer, James? Like, wow. Like, 
It's kind of harsh. But he's like, no, 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 this is what we're doing. We commit spiritual adultery against God as well. But then he goes on to say this, it's because of his love. So look at verse five. Does the scripture mean nothing to you that says the spirit that God breathed into our hearts is a jealous lover who intensely desires to have more and more of us? The spirit that God placed inside of you as a follower of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus lives inside of you. And he doesn't want just part of you, he wants all of you. He wants more and more and more and more of your heart. He longs for you so deeply, so intensely. It says he jealously longs for you. He's a jealous lover desiring you. That's the spirit inside of you. He wants that close communion connection. This is why we talk about being led by the spirit and filled by the spirit because Jesus wants us to live this way. And so there's a reason why righteous anger would take place from God. It's because there's this longing that he has to be so close and so intimate with you. And so that's the first response we see in regards to spiritual adultery. It's righteous anger. But then we see God's second response. And I love this because it's like you see God's anger. He's telling, you know, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. But then it's like, boom, it shifts. And you see his second response. We're always, we always are thankful for the second response. We love to skip the first response and go to the second response. But we can't forget that God's heart hurts. And he can even be angry when we are separating ourselves from him. But his heart is always going to go to this place. And this response, and it's unfailing love. Unfailing love. Please know, wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, in this Jesus thing, in this church thing, just know that God has an unfailing love for you, no matter what. So let's look at how this this story ends here. Uh, This, it's just... It's, it's mind-blowing what we learn about God in this. Verses 14 and 15 of chapter 2, this is where God shows us his unfailing love. It says, therefore, now I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. He says, I'm going to lure her. I'm going to lead her back. I want to draw her back. This is what God wants to do with his people. And this is what God wants to do with us. I want to draw you back to me. Yeah, we've broken that, but I'm I'm luring you back. Out of my intense, unfailing love, I'm drawing you back. And I'm going to take you through the valley of Achor to a door of hope. That word Achor literally means trouble. And so God's like, you're going to walk through the valley of trouble, but there's a door of hope. And every marriage is going to face this. Several times. You're going to walk through that valley of a core, but please know with God, there's always a door of hope. Man, let's face it. We sin. We mess up. We hurt, hurt each other. I am somebody who honestly doesn't really struggle with anger in my life, but if I can confess and be honest, I do this in premarital sessions. Like, Amy makes me really angry sometimes. And I have gotten really, and it's not her fault. It's my, it's, this is my issue. It's, it's amazing to me, and sad and wrong about how, there's been times I've been so angry and I'm like, where did that come from? And it's one of those things where there's hurts, there's just misunderstandings, there's sin. And we hurt each other and we go there. It happens in every marriage. We walk through the valley of 
acorn. But I'm thankful there's always a door of hope. Maybe you feel like your marriage is there right now. We're, we're in it right now, Tyrone. We're in the valley of trouble. We're walking through it. It's gonna happen to all of us, guys. There's gonna be a valley where you're struggling to forgive, but you gotta do it because there's hope. You may be walking through the valley of deceit. I've been deceived, but there's a door of hope. You're gonna walk through the valley of, of adultery, the valley of betrayal, the valley of pornography, the valley of, uh, of addiction. You're gonna walk through valleys and troubles, but with God, there's always hope. And that's why I would encourage you in your marriage now, in the future, that you come together, you, you hold hands, you pray, you walk through this because with God, he always has hope for you. You're gonna experience the trouble. It will happen. The Valley of Acor is real life, friends, but the also, so is hope. There's a door of hope. And I just, I love that God speaks to this right here. It's a door of hope for you. And maybe you are alone in feeling this and you've got to just kind of hope on your own. I'm just gonna pray extra grace over you for that. Because sometimes it happens in a marriage relationship. They, maybe they don't believe or they're struggling. I'm just gonna pray for you, but for all of you. If you find yourself in that place, we're walking through the Valley of Acor. There's hope with God. There's always hope with God. So God, in the end here, has a really crazy, I would say important message for Hosea. Remember, Hosea is now on his own. His wife's gone. In fact, as you read through the text, it implies that she's not just in prostitution. She has a pimp or a manager. She's full on to this lifestyle again. God comes to Hosea and he says, I want you to go and I want you to go find your wife. And I want you to love her again. <laughs> I want you to show love to your wife again. And what we're going to see from the text here is basically this message. This is the message to all of us, especially the betrayed spouse. Forgive and love as you have been forgiven and loved. This is the message really of this story of Hosea and Gomer. Forgive and love as you have been forgiven and loved. Look at this right here. Verse one, chapter three, Hosea. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. Though, show she, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. <laughs> I know, is that funny? Like, that whole verse is so emotional. Like, oh, man, wow. Oh, God, you're s sacred raisin cakes. That kind of just kind of hits you, right? It's like, what? It sounds like Monty Python. Like, they're into the sacred raisin cakes. Totally right there, right? It's like, what's up with the Bible? I mean, it's different time, different culture, right? But just know that that wasn't a nice dessert that they enjoyed. That was something they did in worship to pagan gods and to Baal. So it was not good, Okay. So that's the context of sacred raisin cakes. They're doing things and worshiping other gods out of their unfaithfulness. So back to the other stuff that's really cool here. Go and show your love to your wife again. Go and show your love to your wife again. We're gonna see God's heart for, really God's heart in two ways here. His heart for reconciliation. Number one, here's what we see is we see God's heart for marriage reconciliation. That's God's heart, guys. 
is that marriages would be restored and reconciled. Because God looks at Hosea and he says, I want you to go and love your wife like I love my wife, my people, the Israelites. Which is an echo of Ephesians 5, 25 too. If you think about it, Joel actually quoted it in the video that we listened to a few moments ago where Paul is talking to his friends in Ephesus and he says, hey, husbands, love your wife as Christ has loved the church. There's such similarity here, isn't there? This is awesome. Love as God has loved you. That's how I'm calling you to love. Forgive and love as you have been forgiven and loved. So Hosea has taken this message to heart and he literally has to go find his wife doesn't know where she's at. Like she's living a life out on the streets again, prostitute. He's got to go find his wife. And when he goes to show her love, he doesn't even know how she's going to respond. She could reject him. She could not respond. She may not want nothing to do with him anymore. But, but he does what God asks him to do. He goes and he finds his wife. It just shows us God's heart for marriage reconciliation. You know that God does not like divorce. In fact, Malachi 2, he says, I hate divorce. And it's interesting how we can get into theological debates in the Christian world today on like, when's divorce okay? When's it okay? You know, and, it, and Jesus, when he was asked about divorce, his response was, let me tell you about the importance of marriage. Let me tell you how, <laughs> how important the sanctity of marriage is. Now, please know, again, no judgment, no, I, I want you to hear grace from me because there are times where it is okay, and those, but those are few and far between. Those are extreme circumstances where maybe there's been multiple betrayal or someone for the safety of their life needs to get out. But beyond that, I'm telling you guys, you pour through the pages of this book and you will find that God is for marriage reconciliation. That is his heart because he loves marriage. This is what he wants to see take place in every single marriage. So, God's heart is for marriage reconciliation. And number two, his heart is for spiritual reconciliation. This is God's heart. Yeah. Spiritual reconciliation. For all of us, he wants you and I to be in relationship with him, to be reconciled with him. And watch what happens here. As Hosea goes and he finds his wife, Look what Hosea has to do for his wife. Verse two of chapter three says this. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. And then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. I will live with you. And you see what's happening here, the story? Like literally, Hosea has to go and find his wife, and he has to pay for his own wife. He's got to give a huge lump sum of all that stuff, which is a lot of money for someone that already belongs to him. And he does it out of love to symbolize the love that God has for his people, to symbolize the love that God has for you and me. You realize the foreshadowing of this, that what was going to happen 700 and about 90 years later, that Jesus was going to go to the cross. Jesus, the one who loves you. Jesus, the one who made you and created you. You and I already technically belong to him. 
but he went to the cross and he paid a price way greater than Hosea so that you and I could be reconciled back to him. This story is way deeper than a marriage and even God with the Israelites. It is a foreshadowing of what God wanted to do for humanity and it impacts you and I today. Jesus paid a price, his life for you. He bought you. He wants reconciliation with you and it's up to you and I to accept that. And every time I read the story, it just wrecks me because it reminds me of what Jesus did for me and what he gave up for me. Man, Hosea had to buy his own wife. But don't forget, Jesus paid the price for you so that you don't have to be stuck in your past. He bought her out of her past, out of prostitution. And I love that he speaks to her. You're with me now. We're gonna live together. He's speaking words of identity. You're not a prostitute. That's not who you are. That's your past. This is something we talked about Friday night with the young people, right? Your past. You don't, don't live in the past. That's who you used to be. The enemy wants to pull you back. He wants to speak to you lies and get you back to your past. No, no. Uh, God wants to give you a new name, give you a new identity. Hosea is doing this to Gomer. You are not a prostitute. You live with me. You belong with me. We're going to be together. I love that. And God wants to do the same thing to you. Don't be stuck in your sin. Don't be stuck in your past. I paid the price on the cross so you could be forgiven and set free from your past, from your sin, from your bondage. The sin is bondage to us. From any addiction, anything, Jesus paid the price so you could be free and step into that future with him and be in relationship with him. He paid the price so you and I can experience spiritual reconciliation. And that, my friends, is mind-blowing, but that shows you and I how much he loves us. That's how much he loves us. And I pray that you and I would respond right now to his incredible love. Would you stand to your feet? Let's pray. I told you it was a pretty deep story. <laughs> and for some of us, it may be difficult for us to swallow. But I just want you in this moment now to receive the love of God, whatever you've gone through, no matter where you're at right now. And just know, first and foremost, God wants to make sure you and him are right, that you're right with him. That's why Jesus went to the cross, to reconcile. Maybe today is gonna be a day where you, for the first time, commit to following Jesus and experiencing that love relationship with him. I think this is the best day it could happen, Valentine's Day, 2021. That'd be awesome if you look back and say, yeah, on Valentine's Day, that's the day I really started falling in love with Jesus. <laughs> that's, that's, I'd love to hear that story. If you're online, maybe you need to, to make that decision. Let us know. You're ready to say yes to Jesus, but I want to encourage you today. If you've never done that, make a decision today to say yes to him. And so now for all of us, let's respond to the love of God. Would you join me in prayer right now? Let's pray. Lord, this story just reminds us of how powerful your love is. And just the sacrifice that you gave for us. God, that you would give your only son. Jesus, that you would take our place of death and you would pay that ultimate price of your life so that we could have life. Jesus, I pray that again today we would not take that for granted. And Lord, I pray that a love for you would just rise and would grow in our hearts. Just a deep appreciation for your love and all that you've done for us, God. You went to great lengths, even given your life, so that you and I could be in relationship. And we're so thankful for that, God. We're so thankful. Some of us, God, you had to chase us for a long time. You had to woo us back for a long time, but here we are. 
Maybe the Spirit of God is speaking to you right now. He's calling you to come into relationship with him. Come on, just say yes to him right now and experience the unfailing love of Jesus. Just surrender to the unfailing love of Jesus. Come on, let's experience the unfailing love of Jesus right now. And right now, I'm going to pray that the unfailing love of you, Lord, would be at the center of every marriage. Lord, let every marriage that hears my voice right now be encouraged, be strengthened. They may be in the valley of trouble, walking through hard times, walking through difficulty. They may be broken and beat up, but we know you can make their marriage brand new. And so, Lord, we pray, Lord, for hope for hope, Lord. May they begin to see that door of hope, even if it's in the distance, Lord, that as they continue to walk, trusting in you, that door of hope is there for them as they trust you through all of this. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen marriages. Lord, I pray that you bring restoration. Lord, I pray that forgiveness would take place within marriages. Lord, that that spouses would love and forgive as they've been loved and forgiven by you, Lord. That we would emulate the love and forgiveness you've given to our spouses, Lord, and that you would begin to build health back into that relationship, into that marriage. Lord, I'm praying for marriages to be restored, for marriages to be reconciled, and every marriage here, God, would be strengthened in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Some of you are thinking, man, I've been through too much. This is too much. Just remember, the Spirit of God lives inside of you. And God wants to help you walk in humility and love and forgive as you have loved, been loved and forgiven. God wants to help you with that, guys. Maybe you need to do that with someone else, even outside of the marriage context. Love and forgive as you have been loved and forgiven. Just begin to speak that and pray that and do that, even right now, with whoever that's with. God, I'm praying for healthy relationships. I'm praying for reconciled relationships. I'm praying for reconciled marriages. In Jesus' mighty Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.